Welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to episode 45 of the Focus on Customer Service podcast. This is your host, Dan Gingas, and I'm very happy today to have one of the world's foremost customer service experts on the podcast. He is a best-selling author of four books, and he is also a member of the National Speakers Hall of Fame. Shep Hyken, my good buddy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, honored to be here. Thank you very much. I love the way you said it. I'm one of the foremost experts on the podcast. You mean on the planet? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I hear things. I hear things. No, it's great to be here, Dan. You you and I go back a few years from back when I was hired to uh, speak at one of the companies that you worked with. Exactly. And you did a great job there. And uh, you know that I uh, always trust bald guys. So that's just, you know, whenever I meet a bald guy, I know immediately I can trust him. So uh, I think that's probably how you, you and I got along early on. Birds of a feather flock together. Exactly. So, Shep, you have uh, you've written a bunch of books about customer service. You've been in this uh, industry for a while, but it occurs to me that nobody grows up saying, "I want to be a customer service expert when I grow up." So, tell me how you got into this space and and kind of what led you there. Sure. Well, believe it or not, nobody ever thinks that they want to be a customer service expert, but where they learn and become passionate about customer service, typically didn't start when they were growing up. So it started with the values that their parents gave them. As a matter of fact, years ago, I read a great quote by one of the Nordstroms who, when asked, how do you train people to be so good at a Nordstrom department store? I mean, they're just amazing. How do you train them? And they said, we don't train them. Their parents trained them. And when I heard that, I thought back and I said, you know what, that's exactly what happened to me. I used to have a birthday party magic show business back when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. And I remember coming home from my first day of doing a magic show. My mom said, go upstairs and write a thank you note. My dad said, follow up next week, thank them again on the phone, and then ask how you did. I started thinking about like today, you know, that's feedback. It's showing appreciation. And there were a number of other little lessons my parents gave me as I built out this magic show business. Then when I was in uh, also in high school and, and summer jobs, I worked at a gas station. And I'll never forget, I was actually in college working at this gas station. By the way, during the week in college, they'd offer me a full-time job, which, which meant I worked in their office during the week and still worked in gas stations on, out on the weekends. And we had about 100 of them. So it was a nice size chain. But one very, very cold day, perhaps one of the coldest days on record in St. Louis, Missouri, where I live, a woman got out of the car to pump her gas, an elderly woman. I don't know how old she was, 80, 85, I don't know, still driving, 90. I went out and pumped her gas for her. My manager got upset with me for pumping this lady's gas. He says, we're a self-serve station. And I thought, well, you know, but she could have died, slipped on a piece of ice. I mean, she would look frail. So I helped her. And he says, what is she going to do the next time? She's going to expect the same thing. And I go, well, that's fine because... There's three other stations, one on each of the corners that we're at the intersection. And I think that I'd love her to come back and always do business with us. So that's kind of how it all started as far as my passion for service, not even knowing it was called service. When I got out of college, and Dan, if I'm going too long and I'm long-winded on this, I'm going to be real short. I got out of college. The company that I was working for sold, 
and I didn't have a job, and that was less than a year out of college. I went and saw a couple of motivational speakers. I enjoyed what they did. I said, you know what, I got the magic show background. And by the way, I worked in nightclubs while I was in college and, and high school. You'll love this. I, I was 16 years old, and I was doing comedy and magic at the Playboy Club. And that, by the way, is the most amazing job a 16-year-old <laughs> I could ever have. But when I saw these speakers, I said, you know, I can get up in front of people. That's fine. And I loved what they were doing. And I found that customer service was something that I could go and talk about. That's really how my business started. I became a speaker in customer service. But I learned from very, very, a very young age what good service was all about. That's really interesting. Great, great story, Shep. I, I do agree with you that customer service is sort of an innate skill. It's a really hard one to teach. And and we talk a lot about in social media around when you go to hire somebody to do social care, is it better to have you know customer service background or social media background? And one of the things I found is that it's a heck of a lot easier to teach someone how to use Facebook or Twitter than it right. is to teach those innate skills that you were talking about at the gas station. You remind me of my first job out of college was at a collectibles company called the Danbury Mint, and we sold plates, dolls, figurines, uh, sports memorabilia, etc. Pretty high-end stuff, all direct-to-consumer, so no retail. And uh, I remember that one year, uh, the week of Christmas, a call came through to my phone. I was in the marketing department, and I don't know how it got past customer service, but it got to me. And it was, again, an elderly lady. And I pick up the phone, and uh, she's on fire. I mean, we are ruining Christmas because the gift that she bought her granddaughter has not arrived. And, you know, I listened to her, and it was just instinct that kicked in for me. And I said to her, Christmas is not going to be ruined on my account. And I took down her information. I wrote down her address. I figured out what product she needed. I walked over to where we had all the inventory, and I grabbed the product off the shelf. I packed it up myself. I walked it over to the FedEx station and made sure that it got out and, and was delivered on the 24th. And you know, nobody had to tell me to do that. And I probably, if I had asked, I, I, you know, my boss might have said what what your boss said at the gas station. You know, they, they might have been like, "But, but it's too expensive to overnight it to her." But that was what my instinct said to do because. You know, I wanted to take care of her, and I and I know that she was a customer for life after that. I think every company needs to take a look at what things cost. Like your, you mentioned, your boss might say it costs too much to do that. There is an average profit that you make on any and every customer, client, guest, whatever you want to call them, and that's why they call it an average. Some customers you'll make more on than others, but you've got to recognize there's a cost of doing business. There's a cost of not doing business based on how you don't handle a customer properly as well. And I think you have to be worried about what it will cost you if you don't handle things properly. But if you do it right, and maybe once in a while it costs a little bit more, maybe a little more effort, maybe a little bit more time, maybe even spend a little bit more money as you had to to overnight something. Well, I think that that's the cost of doing business. That's the cost of staying in business. That's the cost of being profitable and successful in business. For sure. And it is almost always less expensive to keep a customer than it is to get a new one. And oh, yeah. I, I oh, think customer, yeah. or, uh, companies miss that all the time and, and continue to spend so much money on sales without really focusing on their existing customers. Shep, you mentioned something that I wanted to go back to, and that was about expectations. So you mentioned that you know one of your boss's feedback at the gas station was that, that the customer may now expect that. 
I've thought about that in my own experiences as well. You know, I, I stay at the same hotel chain almost every time. And, you know, one time I showed up and they had a nice fruit platter when I walked into the room and I was like, oh, that was really nice. And I didn't personally expect that again, but it did occur to me that there are people that might be that way, that, you know, the next time they show up and there's no fruit platter, now all of a sudden they're angry. What does your experience say about that and and about managing expectations of customers, even as we try to please and even surprise and delight? You know, I, I think you hit a good point. Inconsistent service erodes confidence. And it doesn't even have to be inconsistent with bad service. It just has to be inconsistent. They did something nice for me this time. So let's take it to a different level. I think giving somebody an amenity is kind of like a gift. And I don't know if you should expect that every time. I There's this one particular hotel chain that I really, really like. And I know that if I tweet that I'm on my way there or I tweet while I'm there that I'm staying there, they almost always send something up. And I almost see it as a game. I don't really care one way or the other. I think it's very, very nice that they do that. By the way, that's a great tip. If you're staying at a nice hotel on the way to the hotel a few hours, I can't wait to stay at this hotel. I love when my conferences are in great place or something to that effect. You'll be surprised at what happens at the welcome. Pleasantly surprised, I hope. Where you get into trouble with the expectation is where somebody breaks a rule And I use the word rule very carefully because I don't like the word rule when it comes to customer service. I like guidelines. There's a line that you never want to cross. And you try to teach anybody who's front facing with the customer where that line is and that they can go all the way up to that line. But what happens is if you've given permission for let's just use somebody in the support center area, if you've given permission to somebody in a call center support center position to do something for a customer, think of it this way. It's lifetime now. It's permission that you have given this person to take care of a customer that they'll never have to go back and ask you for permission to do that again. And I think it's really important that if it's something that's out of the ordinary, you share that story with the rest of the people who are in that department or in that area or even in the company, because they need to see what they're allowed to do without having to keep coming back and asking permission. In one of my books, I talk about one to say yes, two to say no, which is an old saying. I didn't come up with that, which means I can say yes to somebody. But if I have to say no, that's when I need to go get permission. And if I say yes and I've gone too far, my manager should use that as a teaching event, not something to berate me and you know make me feel bad about it. You know the old story about Nordstrom, by the way, I mention them a lot. I love them. I think, you know, sure, they're a cliche when it comes to customer service, but they are deserving of recognition. Remember the story with the tires? Yep. Go ahead and repeat it. Well, I mean, I'm not going to repeat the story, but basically some, well, briefly, someone brought tires back to a Nordstrom and the sales rep gave a refund on tires. Nordstrom doesn't sell tires. The story is that prior to Nordstrom being on that particular property, there was a tire store and the guy bringing back his tires said, this is where I bought my tires. What's going on with this? Right or wrong? And I can't imagine that that employee was told, look, we're not going to fire you over this, but but there may have been a different way to handle it. What turned out, I don't know if that's what happened or not, but what turned out is that became the legend of Nordstrom. And if you ask any of the current Nordstrom family members if that legend is true, the standard response is we weren't even born then, so we'll just (laughs) assume it was. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like the eighteen-hour call at uh, at Zappos or at Zappos. Uh, I remember uh, one of the hotels, and there's all sorts of wonderful, wonderful stories of going, you know, crazy above and beyond. Let me ask you this question: Do you think that all companies are in the customer service business today? Not just all companies; everybody who works in the company is in service. There's been studies, Gartner comes to mind, that says that, uh, you know, I think their stats said 89% of companies will compete on customer experience by 2016. And here we are almost done with 2016. Is that a trend that you're seeing as well, though, that in a lot of different industries, things are becoming so commoditized that the experience and as part of that customer service is becoming the differentiator? Absolutely true, because here's what I want you to think about you're going to compete on really one of two things. You're either going to compete on price or something else. Okay. And that's the second thing. And something else could be you have a unique product, you have a better customer experience or whatever. But if you're not competing on price alone, you're competing on something else. That something else is always going to be part of the customer experience. I can't get it anywhere else. That's exclusivity. That's a huge competitive edge. And, you know, there's part of that, depending upon what you're buying and why you're buying it, some feeling of expectation. You can't get anywhere else. That's why you're willing to pay a little bit more. But if if the companies that compete on price when it comes to loyalty, and I know I don't want to confuse customer loyalty with service and everything else, but loyalty is built with a brand that can create an experience that the customer wants to come back and experience again and again and again. If they want to experience just the low price, and that's the only thing, as soon as that customer finds somewhere else to give them a lower price, they're going to do that. So I think you said 89%, which means 11% of the companies are out there not competing on customer experience, which leads me to believe their only other thing they could compete on is price. Keep in mind that the customer that's loyal to price is never loyal to a company. They're only loyal to the price. But the customer that gets an experience that says, wow, I really like doing business. They have exactly what I want, nobody else has it. I love the experience they give me, they're so friendly. I love the experience, they're knowledgeable. I love the experience because I'm able to track you know, every step from the time the order is placed to when it's manufactured to when it's shipped. There's all types of different ways to deliver an experience, much of which does tie to customer service, some of which is social customer care and service. But uh, anyway, so I love that stat. And whether it's right or wrong, I think it's probably closer to right than it is wrong. We're talking to renowned customer service expert, not just on this podcast, but worldwide, <laughs> Shep Hyken. You can find him on Twitter at Hyken. That's H-Y-K-E-N. And you can also find him at Hyken.com. Shep, what do you say to people who say that it is too expensive uh, or I don't have the budget to create an experience? And can you give some examples of experiences that could cost a company nothing? Well, sure. I mean, first of all, I think that it depends how far you're going with the experience. I, I got a buddy of mine, and you know him real well, John DeJulius. And John and I were talking one day, and he had this, I don't know, I don't know if I made him think of it, we made, we're thinking of it together, it doesn't matter, but I'll give credit to him, because credit's probably due. He's better looking than I am. I'm taller, but he's better looking. Yeah, but, he's, but he's an Indians fan and I'm a Cubs fan. So right now we're a little oh, bit yeah, at war. Oh, yeah, he's nothing to you. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, what if your customer were willing to give you a million dollars for what you normally charge 50 or or $100 for, or even a few thousand dollars? What difference 
in the experience would you create for that customer? And you start thinking about, well, what else could you do? And, you know, some of it may be crazy and outrageous, but there's probably a few things that you'll come up with that you realize, you know what, it really doesn't cost much more to do that to deliver a better experience. But let's take it down to the question that you asked, which is what can you do that really doesn't cost anything at all? And I'll consider that even time costs money. And I think it's important if you look at some of the best support centers and best customer service that's done out there, it's a little bit more time is spent with a customer. But let's go back and say what wouldn't cost the company money, which actually might help make them money, not just not cost anything. If you're hiring for customer service, hire the right person. Don't make a mistake. Do it right. Get the right people. And that means a painstakingly thorough interview or sets of interviews and behavioral style testing if that's something that you're into. But if you get the right person in there to start with, number one, you're going to be better at what you do. Number two, it's going to cost less because turnover is going to be lower because you're not going to get that person and replace them. And even if you have to pay that person a little bit more, long term, this person pays off because sure, it may cost you a tiny bit to keep them. But number one, as I mentioned, lower turnover. Number two, less customer churn. Number three, more repeat customers, which ultimately could lead to a loyal customer. Loyal customers and repeat customers, they not only come back again, but they spend more every time they do come back on average. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, it absolutely starts with the with the front line. I'm also thinking about, for example, I when I go to the car dealership to get my car repaired, they have this thing when you drive in that's a sensor that I think takes a picture of your license plate and by the time you've driven into the garage the TV screen has changed and it says welcome Mr. Gingas and you know yeah they paid some money for that technology but on a variable per customer basis that costs them absolutely nothing and yet it absolutely sets the expectation that you're going to have great service that before I even meet a human being, I've just pulled in and I've got a welcome sign with my own name on it and it's cool. And, uh, and the reason I give that example, I'm going to see if I can comfortably segue into social media. What do you think I do when I see that screen with my name on it? I take a picture of it, right? I pull up my phone, just like everybody else. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. And so what I wanted to ask you is because you've been doing this for a while and I know that you know when you got your start most of the customer service world was on the telephone and was in call centers and we've now evolved into lots of different channels seems like every day there's there's a new way to contact a brand and I'm really interested in your thoughts on what has social media done to the customer service industry how has it changed things I know that's a big question it's a huge question, a hundred different ways we can go, but let me just a, a couple of initial thoughts. Social media has changed things. Uh, number one, customers have a bigger voice than ever before, and therefore, I believe it raises the bar for every company to do an effective job. I walked into a hotel, and the sign says, we want to be great. Please be sure to leave your comments on whatever the social media channel, you know, like a Yelp or whatever, TripAdvisor. And I said, wow, at first I thought that's a little presumptuous. But when I talked to somebody about it, they said, no, no, this is as much for us to remind you as it is for us to remind each other, we better be good enough that we get a good rating. Aha, that's kind of cool. Setting the bar high for everybody. 
customer gets to talk and the company says, we want them to talk well about us. So what's going to happen? They're going to really do their best to make sure. It's not so much tied to social media, but you made me think of it with your car example, but it, it can tie. We want to be so good that we want people to rate us on a scale of one to five. We want to, to give us a five or a scale of one to 10. My car dealership wants to give 10 level service. And whenever I go in, and actually the beautiful thing is I never do go in. They come and pick up my car and drop off a loaner. And I don't know why the guy offered to do that, but he did. Went back to buy another car and the new salesperson, my old guy wasn't there, said, oh yeah, we do that for some of our customers. I'm thinking, why not all of them? But now I'm getting off the track. But whenever I bring in, or my car is brought in for service, they pick it up, I always get a, an email from the guy that's going to manage the experience. It's usually the same guy, not always. And he always wants, he says, our goal is to give you a 10, or to, you know, uh, that you would rate us a 10. If we fall short, in any area, I want you to let me know right away so we can make up for it as quickly as possible. And I know what they're doing. They're trying to get a 10 on their ratings, okay? And that's fine. But the way he set it up didn't make me feel like, hey, would you please give me a 10 on my survey? It's like, hey, if I do anything short of a 10, I want to know about it. So tell me. Well, feedback is definitely a gift. And I think that the companies that have figured out that feedback is good are the ones that have not struggled with the transition to social media. The ones that are worried about hearing complaints about their product or service and, and therefore are reacting in a slow way or sometimes not even participating in, in social media or not responding, those are the ones that always cause me to scratch my also bald head because <laughs> you know even negative feedback is extremely valuable because you know in social especially, I think that Companies are able to see early on what's working and what's not working about their product, about their service, about their employees, really about anything that's happening. Because, as you said, customers now have a voice and it is really, you know, it's meant to be a two way conversation. But this idea that, you know, we only want tens is it's good in the sense that it sets the expectation of the employees to deliver 10 service. But it also sometimes makes me uncomfortable because I also, I want to know, I want to be able to communicate to a company when something's wrong and I want them to fix it. And at least the companies that I've worked for, there's been a lot of enthusiasm for hearing what we're doing wrong and specifically in social because everything is public. What I think is really cool is that it's really the only channel that you can take somebody who starts off upset with you because something's wrong and you, you failed them in some way and turn them into an advocate by the way that you respond. And that's really hard to do on the phone or in chat or in email because there's really only two people, one on each end of the conversation. But now you bring this discussion into a public setting. Right. And I think you know that's where there's a huge opportunity. Well, our mutual friend Jay Bear says social customer care has taken social service to a spectator sport. <laughs> and I love that because I think if somebody sees a complaint it's like, wow, I, I like to see what the response to that is. And you just read down a little bit further and go, oh, wow, look how they responded. Oh, look at this. The customer came back and thanked them for taking care of it. That's the kind of company I want to do business with. Interesting study came out not too far from where you live at Northwestern University about ratings and social ratings, scale of one to five type ratings, five being great. They said a perfect five from a number of customers is not as powerful as a 4.3, 4.4, 4. 
I'm trying to remember if maybe I heard that stat when I was at Social Media Marketing World last year, listening to one of your speakers. But I found that to be a fascinating stat because it's not that, you know, perfect is not realistic. And when there's imperfect and you see how a company manages it, that's realistic. That's really great feedback to see. Yeah, I think you were talking about the panel session on ratings and reviews. And my guess is it was Daniel Lemon who was talking about this idea that when people view the ratings of a company and they see all fives, that that isn't believable because they know that no company is perfect. And so what you want, whether your product is on Amazon or whether you're talking about Yelp or or TripAdvisor, is you actually want a couple of ratings that aren't perfect because it actually is more realistic. And, and ratings that are imperfect with a response. And by the way, response should be to every comment. And that may seem like, well, gosh, we can't respond to everybody. Well, sure you can. More people will leave negative comments than positive comments. But if you get a positive comment, take advantage of having a short social conversation with that customer and letting them know how much you appreciate the opportunity. And I think it's a mistake not to do it. And that, that's why they call it social. It's because it is. It's a conversation. Well, so I totally agree with you there. And the idea that somebody takes time out of their day to tweet at a brand or post on their Facebook page something positive about their experience is really, I mean, if you think about it, that never used to happen. And I mean, I'm going to imagine that a call center doesn't get a whole lot of phone calls, you know, where they answer the phone and the person on the other line says, I'm just calling to tell you you did a great job. It might happen, but I'm guessing it doesn't happen that often. So because you work with other customer service people all the time, how do you convince an operations center that is focused on efficiency and cost management and all this? How do you convince them that answering now positive comments is a good thing to do when, in theory, again, on a variable basis, it's going to cost more? Because these are now people that are not replacing phone calls. Right. So basically, they're saying we're spending time on something we don't need to spend time on. Many of the companies that are in this position of total efficiency, the measurement is how fast you get off the phone. That's another way of saying how long the phone call is. But when you tell somebody we measure how long the call is, they're not measuring for how long it is. They're measuring how short the call is and moving in how many calls you can get in an hour. I think that's a big mistake. It's short-sighted. The only time that is effective, and it's not effective for the customer, it's simply effective for the bottom line when you're getting ready to sell a company and you want to look lean. And then the next sorry owner that comes in experiences what ultimately starts swinging toward low customer service ratings because of the reputation that's been built up over the time prior to them buying. I think that's a terrible thing that, that happens. I think companies, and I look at one of my favorite companies to talk about is American Express. I interviewed Jim Bush. Jim Bush is our senior VP, worldwide service, in charge of call centers around the world. And he says, sure, we want efficiency, but nobody lets that member or customer get off the phone until they're satisfied and will give us a high rating. Because it doesn't matter if we've answered their question. If they're still upset, they're still upset. I work with Lexus, and one of their executives said, and I love it, and I'd heard it before, but when we were role-playing out different scenarios, he goes, we're not trying to fix your car or a customer's car. We're trying to fix a customer. Uh, okay, that's cool. What basically 
they're trying to do is restore confidence. And I've always felt that in every negative situation, you can't just fix the problem. You've got to restore confidence. You can't do that if it's uh, – uh, remember Jack Webb from Dragnet? Yep. Yeah, and the only reason younger people might remember – I think it was Dan Aykroyd did a, a recent version of that. But Jack was just the facts. All I want is the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. And the other guy was a little bit softer. But just the facts is total efficiency. It's cold. It's stark. It leaves nobody warm. So I work for a company like this, and they asked me to come in, and, and they said, if you're going to ask us to build rapport and, and bond, I go, you know what? I am going to ask you know, the audience member, we're, we're call center folks, to consider saying something in the conversation that personalizes the conversation. But people want to be around people they know, like, and trust. And that could go where I know you, like you, and trust you because of the relationship, or I know when I call you that I'm going to like the information you give me because I trust, based on past experience, that the information is always correct. That's a starker look at it. And if you do nothing more than that, at least you're giving good information, but long term, it's built on relationship because if all you do is do what you're supposed to do, you're a commodity. Sure. And so as we've evolved into more digital channels, building that rapport and that relationship becomes a little bit more complicated because it's not really face to face. So how do you advise companies to do that in a digital sense? Most people, when they walk away from doing business with a person, if the person does a great job and they're describing the experience to someone else, they'll say something like, I love doing business with them. Their people are always so friendly, okay? So that them is a he or she that at that moment represented the whole brand. Well, on social, when you tweet out an issue, a concern, and, and I won't tell you the name of the airline, but their initials are AA. For anonymous hmm. airlines? Let me see if I can okay, guess. For American Airlines. And one day I'm flying around up above, and I'm on the internet, and we're landing, but I notice we're circling, and there's bad weather in Dallas. And the captain comes on and says, everybody's flight's going to be delayed, just like we're being delayed. So I'm online, because you can now pay to be online on, on the internet when you're up in the air. And I go to check my flight. Guess what? Most flights are delayed, except for the one that I'm connecting to. So I jump on Twitter. I direct message. I, I could have put it out there in the, the whole Twitter sphere for everyone to see. And maybe the first time I, I did this with American Airlines, I did. And, they, and it, back then, you had to then connect and direct message. Today, Twitter set up a function where you can go direct to the company. But here's what happened. I messaged American Airlines and within six or seven minutes, they messaged me back and said, we have you protected on the flight after that one. You're perfectly fine. And that's exactly the way it should be. And you talk about building, gosh, a great relationship. Here's what I said as I got off. You're not going to believe American Airlines. They are so good because, and then I told the story, and they was a he or a she that, that tweeted back to me a direct message. Yeah, I've had very similar experience with them. I didn't know where you were going when you mentioned them, whether it was going to be a good example or oh, a bad example. Oh, I don't say anything bad about anybody. Well, <laughs> but, most people. But, okay, some people. Not just <laughs> Well, and, and on this podcast, we do try to focus on the brands that are doing it really well. But I've, I've had a very similar experience with them. And, and we've had a couple uh, airlines, great airlines, Southwest and JetBlue on this podcast, and Delta, that are all doing the the you know have kind of figured this out and i've thought that you know with the airlines the issue is, is that when people need help they need help 
right now. They're standing right. in the airport yep. and like, this is urgent. And, you know, nobody wants to call up and go through the long IVR menu and wait on hold and what have you. And so the idea that Twitter especially provides almost instantaneous feedback from a company like that is amazing. The the trick then is when we talked, if we circle back to the beginning of the discussion about customer expectations, I think the trick then is that customers build up an expectation that every brand can do that. And what I tell brands that I talk to is that you really have to know your own customer and, frankly, know your own brand. Airlines are almost by their nature 24-7 because people are flying around all the time and could be in different time zones, etc. But Joe's Widget Shop, which closes at at 5 o'clock every night, does not necessarily have to be active on social media 24-7 because the likelihood of, you know, Joe getting a question at 3 o'clock in the morning that has to be answered this moment is pretty low. So you gave an airline example, but I'm interested in your thoughts kind of on on some of these other brands. You can go back to Nordstrom if you want to. Um, Whether other brands have to now follow the expectation that is built by some of the airlines that are doing this so quickly. Right. And so, I mean, you can use any industry uh, and here's what happens. And and we've mentioned American, you mentioned Delta, which by the way, Delta, I don't know why JetBlue and Southwest, I think Southwest finally, they're starting to be considered one of the major carriers, but I think JetBlue and Southwest are. But if you look at the big ones, United, Delta, American, Delta seems to be just doing so great. They've really put forth an initiative. It's taken a while to steer that ship around. Tom Peters wrote about Delta in In Search of Excellence back in 1983. Uh, They fell out of favor. And I think now if he had to write the book again, they'd be back in favor. I mean, they're doing a great job. So here's what's happening, to your point. If I'm flying on Southwest, JetBlue, Delta, or I am one of the happy American Airlines flyers as I am as, as I talk about this story, and I'm flying on another airline and a similar situation is in front of me and they don't handle it as well, I'm comparing them to their competition. However, let's not be short-sighted. Today, and just this last year, there was a stat that came out that was put out by New Voice Media, who actually commissioned the study. They said that 62 billion, with a B, billion dollars was lost to poor customer service, meaning a company could have had a sale, but the customer went somewhere else. The customer lost that sale. 62 billion, which by the way is up almost 50% from just a couple, three years ago. Now, that would indicate to most people that customer service is getting worse. And what I think, Dan, you're trying to say is, I don't think it is getting worse. I think customer service is getting better. What's happened is that customers' expectations are higher than they've ever been. That is outpacing the strides that some of these companies are making. What's happened is when I have a great experience on Delta Airlines and then I go to any other business and I say, why can't they be as friendly as the the people that took care of me on Delta Airlines? If I go to a restaurant and I'm treated well and then I go to a bookstore, I'm going to compare the person who's apathetic, introverted, not outgoing, barely talks to me, barely looks at me to the friendly server that I had the night before. And if I'm doing B2B business, if I'm talking with an inside service rep that's really helpful, and then I call another company and I don't get that same type of help, and they're not even in competing businesses, not even in, in the same industry, I'm comparing them. And that's what happens. Expectations are higher. And by the way, companies are are training customers to know what good service is. Hey, we won the JD Power Award 
10 years in a row. Check us out and we'll show you why. And then they prove it. And then we go anywhere else and it's like we're let down. Great stuff uh, from Shep Hyken. Again, you can find him at Hyken, H-Y-K-E-N, on Twitter at Hyken.com. He is the author of Moments of Magic, The Cult of the Customer, The Amazement Revolution, and Amaze Every Customer Every Time. He is also a Hall of Fame professional speaker and an all-around great guy, I have to say. Shep, as we close out, I can't help but think, first of all, that you know, all this stuff that you've been talking about for a number of years that your books cover about how to create these moments of magic. What I love is that it all gets amplified in social media because when people have a great experience, they're not afraid to share that either. And, and we talked a little bit about brands responding to positive experiences, but one of the strategies in social is to make sure that your positive experiences are amplified and that you are able to reduce or at least learn from negative experiences. But I think it's really interesting as I listen to you talk that what you've been teaching companies to do over the years applies perfectly to social media. And one of the things that I had realized at a previous employer was that the companies that are good at customer service have a huge leg up in social media because really then it is just another channel to do what we're already doing, which is listening to our customers and treating them well and responding and engaging. And for companies where customer service has not been a priority in the past, social media becomes a lot more difficult place to be because there is that expectation. You can't hide behind a telephone and a long hold line anymore. As Jay says, it, it has become a spectator sport, so, the, so sort of the world is watching. But anyway, I, I think that's fascinating, and I'm very interested to know from you, where do you think we're going next, since you, uh, you know so much about this? Well, wow. By the way, let's talk a little bit more about social. Social is typically not an audio interaction, meaning it's not voice-to-voice, person-to-person. It's typically a written I write something, somebody writes back. I tweet something, somebody tweets back. There's chat bots out there, you know, like texts. I guess it's like a, a chat is like texting or typing, and they type back. There are some great systems out there that you don't know if you're dealing with a human or you're dealing with a robot. It doesn't matter as long as you don't know. It's if you know this is a canned response, this is what they say to everybody, it falls short. I think what's going to happen in the future is we're moving into the era of cognitive I just came back from the World of Watson conference, 17,000 people learning about the cognitive relationships that we have with customers. My focus is on how this is going to impact the customer experience. And I know this. Think about the conversation you have with, and I'm afraid to say her name because Alexa is right behind me. And now she's going to, oh, she didn't turn on. Amazing. (laughs) But Siri or Alexa or one of the consumer brands that we interact with where we say, hey, Tell me what the weather is. They can retrieve information really well. But what Watson is doing and some other artificial intelligence systems are doing is they're not just retrieving information, knowing where to get it and how to assimilate it to make it sound good to a human. They are actually thinking. They're truly going to learn about their customers. And every time they interact with us, they're going to get even better and better. And I think that's where we're going is there's an artificial intelligence that I don't think it's going to replace humans. The CEO of IBM said what she'd like to see happen is artificial intelligence being used for augmented intelligence so that the 
AI can become IA, which means intelligent assistant, and give us the information. If you can imagine, if instead of me having to flip through screens, I'm talking to a customer on a phone call, and the computer is hearing this, and go into the screen while the customer is telling me, so I don't even have to go look for anything. It's right there, and everything's coming together. That's a big trend. I know I took some time. The other one, I'll take a little bit of less time, and that is personalization is becoming huge. Companies need to mine the data they have on each individual customer to give them a better customer experience. We have the data, and now we're getting capability that allows us to use it easier and better than ever. Awesome stuff, Shep. I think that is an exciting times that we have ahead, especially yeah. if we if Watson is successful at some of this stuff. I think the experience is about to change again, and it sounds like for the better for the customer. Yeah, I think it's it's an awesome time. I'm truly, you know, I'm an optimistic guy to begin with, so every year should be better than the last. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, you and I have been talking about it for a little bit, and I, I do appreciate you taking the time. And uh, it is an honor to have you here and, and a pleasure to speak with you always. Well, thanks. And I'm honored and flattered that you want me on the show, and I can't wait till we get to do it again. Fantastic. That's a deal. And right. uh, thank you to all the listeners for joining us again for the Focus on Customer Service podcast. And as always, if you have had an experience on social media with a brand that was awesome in Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is, and you want to tell us about it, we'd love to hear about it and have that brand on a future episode. So you can tweet at me, D Gingis, that's D-G-I-N-G-I-S-S, or use our hashtag, which is F-O-C-S. It stands for Focus on Customer Service. We appreciate you listening, and thanks again to Shep Hyken for being our guest, and we'll see you next time on the Focus on Customer Service podcast. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast presented by Social Media Today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS, and follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at DGingus and at I am Dan Moriarty. See you next time.